What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. I'm Tanner Dimling here with y'all as always. Hope y'all having a great week thus far. We are recording a bit later than usual. I'm actually quite an entire day later than usual. Um, usually record this on this Thursday show. Usually record either Thursday morning or Wednesday night. Had to push this back a bit because of an impending decision that is now final uh, that concerns the lacrosse season in the Ivy League. So the Ivy League has come out. They have said we are canceling winter sports and we have pushed back spring sports, so basically postponed them until, and this is, I think the language in the actual release says at least March. So they'll post, it's postponed to at, at least March. Um, you know, after that, I completely expect them to play. Um, if they don't, and, you know, I've gotten a couple messages from people since that decision came out. And I, I, I'll, I'll say right now, like, you know, this is, this is ridiculous, guys. This is ridiculous. Um, it doesn't impact lacrosse at all, really, because the Ivy League, for whatever reason, um, never allowed teams to start practicing until February 1st. And so they would only play three, four games in February anyway. So it doesn't impact it as much as it would other leagues, per se the ACC or the Big Ten, but nonetheless does push back the start of play an entire month almost. Um, at least, what, three weeks, two weeks? Pushes back the start of play at least two weeks, uh, two, three weeks. So uh, we'll have to wait. If you're an Ivy League lacrosse fan, you'll have to wait a bit longer than some of these other conferences to see your teams starting to play. Again, we don't know. And this is, by the way, the first lacrosse league, lacrosse conference to announce their decision for the spring. And, um, I, you know, I. I'm under the assumption that this could possibly change. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't think they would push it. I don't think they would reverse their decision and go back to normal. Uh, but you no, know, if things continue, um, the Ivy League could potentially shut down the season or push it back even further. Um, I am definitely not a fan of that. Um, that's even more ridiculous than this. Um, I, I do think this is a ridiculous decision, um, and obviously while it doesn't impact lacrosse as much, still got to feel for those guys. Uh, basketball, uh, they always have well, they always have at least one team in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Harvard's done some damage, Yale's done some damage, Cornell has done some damage in recent years. So you always have uh, some of those teams in the. Uh, NCAA basketball tournament, which are fun to watch. So 
uh, does stink for those guys, uh, but, you know, does look like we're still going to get across. Um, there was a point in this day when I did think they were going to go that far and cancel across. Um, you know, it doing that wouldn't make any sense to anyone else, but it would make sense to those lunatics that run that conference. Um, so that's 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 my little take on that. But I'm glad they didn't go go that direction. They 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 proved to me that um, they actually have a bit of common sense when it comes to this stuff. And you know I understand you 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 want to make the best decision. Some of these decisions are very tough, but uh, the Ivy League um, far too often has made the uh, wrong decision uh, in these manners considering. Uh, concerning the coronavirus and play. So uh, hopeful, hopeful, hopeful right now that we will start Ivy League lacrosse in March. And I have a proposal for for the Ivy League, okay? If you're not going to, let's, okay, consider that they will play conference only, right? Conference only. And you're going to start play March 1st, Okay. What is March 1st? Is that a... Let's see, when is March 1st? What day of the week is that? March 1st is a Monday. Awesome. Awesome, okay. Let's say you start playing March, right? March 2nd is a Tuesday. Let's say, you know, play midweek games. Because you have seven teams. Could you play... I don't know, have every team play every team twice? Get some mid midweek games going in there. That would be a uh, if you have every team play every team twice. That'd get what twelve games per team. Have some midweek games. I mean that would be that'd be exciting. I know you could put it on TV. Put it on TV. Uh, use that uh, deal y'all got with ESPN, whatever the heck it is. Um, the Ivy League Network's not like ESPN Plus now, so. Now use that, use that to your advantage. Get some midweek games on ESPN in March, will you? Um, if you're gonna make, if you're gonna make Ivy League lacrosse fans wait um, longer than any other conference, you might as well avoid them with some midweek TV games. Uh, that would be that would be pretty pretty exciting. I'd watch that. I would definitely watch that. I watch any lacrosse, <laughs> um, so definitely. I mean, I think that'd be exciting, an exciting thing to do, and I. You know, I've written before. I reposted, uh, reposted it on the uh, Twitter account. Uh, what was it last week uh, when the MAC came back with their, um, the Mid American Conference? They play what Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night football um, in the MAC, and uh, they came back with that <clears throat> last week. So I posted on the uh, the Lacrosse Bucket Twitter. Reposted an article that I had written. Um, back in, I believe it was November of last year, about how lacrosse needed midweek games on TV and how that could help uh, not only grow the game but give some of these smaller teams some more, get some more eyes on them, and and just overall think it'd be a good thing for the game, a good thing for the sport, a good thing for the fans, a good thing to bring in new fans. So. Um, Go check that out. I think you can still find that on lacrossebucket.com. Just 
you probably just look up like midweek lacrosse games and it probably pops up on Google. You might have to search up uh, lacrosse bucket midweek college lacrosse games. But, um, you know, Ivy League, that that would be an option, right? And even if y'all do uh, play non-conference, which y'all should, um, midweek games, non-conference games, that, that I would, I'm down with that. I'm definitely down for midweek lacrosse. Ivy League, make it happen. Y'all, you're making those fans wait, making those players wait. You did them dirty. You did them dirty again today. Uh, so reward them on the back end. And last bit before I move on from the Ivy League here, I don't know when the practice will start. So I, I didn't. I didn't mention that. Kind of went off on a tangent there of midweek games and whatever. But I don't know when the practices will start for the Ivy League. Um, they haven't said that yet, so um, if March 1st is the date they can start practicing, which I hope it's not, I hope that's the date they can start playing, but if it is, that that's just, I, I'm, I don't have any words for that, um, I, I don't, <laughs> I hope it's not, um, I'm pretty sure we would probably see them start practicing February 1st still and just have to wait a month until the play. That's kind of my train of thought right now as to what it's going to be. It might be the second week of February or third week of February, but uh, my train of thought right now is that we're still going to see Ivy League practice in February, starting play in March. Now, moving on from the ludicrous decisions that the Ivy League continues to make. Um, in the last episode, I promised y'all that I would dive into some 2022 recruiting stuff after talking uh, a lot of 2021 stuff on Tuesday with signing day being on Wednesday. Uh, we've seen a lot of signings thus far. I've got a ongoing thing on the site right now tracking all the signings for the guys in the South. Um, so you can go check that out. I've got about 70 guys in here thus far. Uh, North Carolina, I think, leads the way. They've got like 12, 15 kids from the state signed right now um, in the 2021 class. Florida's got a bunch. Georgia has got a decent amount. Uh, Oklahoma's got some kids this year. So I'm excited about the growth out there. Tennessee has got two. Texas has got a bunch, like always. And then Virginia has a bunch, as usual. But you can go check that out on the site. 2021 uh, signings from kids in the South. Um, but no, last, last podcast, d- dove into the 2021s. This podcast, I'm going to do... Pretty much the same. It will be a little longer. I know last one was a very quick podcast. Um, this one will be a bit more in-depth here about the 2022s. Um, and again, no I get started here, all these rankings come from inside lacrosse. We'll link the class in. Well, they, don't, they haven't released the player rankings yet, have they? Because they didn't. 
I'll have to go check, but I, I will put at least the class rankings down in the uh, show notes and then any other links. You know what? They have a five-star and a four-star article. I remember that they put up, so I will link those down in the show notes. So um, you can't start talking about this 2022 class without mentioning Syracuse. Um, John Desco and the Orange currently hold the number one class in the nation, and that class is highlighted by none other than Joey Spolina, the next to don the 2022 jersey, oh, sweet, the 22 jersey, not 2022, the next guy to wear the 22 jersey at Hughes. They promised him that. He commits. Um, there isn't, no, when you're talking about Spolina, I mean, there's not much that you can't say about this kid. Um, obviously, son of Joe of Joe Spolina, uh, the head Stony Brook women's coach, and then also coached for the New York Wizards for a while, and is now the GM for the Wizards, I believe. Um, so obviously, he's been in the spotlight for a while. He's been kind of a known commodity for a while. Um, just unbelievable kid, unbelievable player. Um, you know, he, you know, he's a bit on the smaller side. Um, but I mean, he makes, and if you've watched him play any games or watched his highlights, like even for his size, he, he steps on the field, makes an impact. I mean, he's just an electric playmaker. Uh, and you know, there's some plays that I've seen from him that you, know, you do not see too often at all. Um, I know there's some people out there that want to compare him to, like Mikey Powell or Michael Sowers. And, you know, I'm not ready to compare juniors to guys yet. Um, maybe when they get a se- maybe when they get to their senior year, uh, you can start the comparisons. But uh, some of these guys still have some growing to do. So, um, and, you know, Joey Spolina is obviously one of the guys that's in that category by himself. Um, obviously a great player. And, uh, you know, the, the, the highlight of the Syracuse class. Um, but he's not the only five-star guy in this class. Um, they've got Loyola Blakefield, defenseman Billy Dwan in the class. Um, and then also one of the best midfielders in the class, um, 2022 class, Carter Kempney. He's also a five-star guy. So you've got Spolina, Dwan, and Kempney, all your three five-stars in this class, attack, defense, and midfield. And then, you know, after those guys, it's still a pretty stacked class. Like, they've just got talent all over the place. Uh, Four-star defenseman George Randolph out of Oxbridge Academy, one of the best poles in the Sunshine State and in the South in general. And then you got a guy like Zach Mercado, out of Austin, Texas, um, you know he stands out on film. He's a he's a two way guy. I, I'd probably project him to play more um, defense in college than I would offense as a midfielder. Um, but he's another guy that you could see in this class grow into an impact player in multiple facets of the game. So you know even from the top to the bottom of this class and. I would say, you know, Spolina, Dwan, Kempney are obviously at the top. Mercado is is certainly at the bottom of this class. But even though 
Um, he's at the bottom. Like, yes, Spolina is better than him. Spolina is better than some of these than a lot of these other guys. But it's not like this is a class that is top heavy, and then everybody else at the bottom might not see the field. Because you see that sometimes. You do see that sometimes. This is a very solid class. I think a lot of these guys, there's a lot of different, how do I want to say this? There's a lot of different assets in this class that they might not make an impact day one. Like, I you know, I think Spolina, I think Duan, I think Kempney all have the ability, and even Landoff, have the ability to make that day one impact at Syracuse. But, and even some of these lower guys, like they don't have, when you watch them on film, if you've seen them play, you don't look at them and say, that dude's going to start as a freshman at Syracuse. But you do say there is definitely a ceiling they have not hit. They have the ability to eventually be that impact player at the college level that they are at the high school level. Now, Next up here, we're gonna head over to head on to uh, down to Charlottesville, Virginia, where Lars Tiffany and the Virginia Cavaliers hold the number three class in the nation. The class is highlighted by Manhasset midfielder Joey Terenzi and Calvert Hall uh, Calvert Hall attackman Truett Sutherland and Georgetown Prep. Face-off man, Mac Eldridge. All three guys are five stars by inside lacrosse and look to have the ability to make immediate impacts at the college level. I'll tell you, I've seen Sutherland play multiple times on film, and I've only been able to watch highlights of the other two. Uh, but overall, like all three of those dudes are studs. All three of those dudes stand out. Obviously, IL's got them like this five stars. They know what they're talking about. Um, but even outside of those guys, you know, um, they've they've got some real some real gems here. Uh, Virginia does. Um, the two defensemen in this class, I'm particularly high on, and that would be Riverside Virginia defenseman John Schroeder, uh, or Schroeder, I believe is how you pronounce it. And defenseman out of McDonough, Malachi Jones. Uh, from what I've seen of both of these guys, and I, I've seen Jones uh, play, I think I saw him play one full game on film back in the spring, or was it in the summer? Um, but I've seen him play a full game on film. I've only watched uh, Schroeder on his highlight tape, uh, but... You know, both those guys and uh, Schroeder it is a actual like LSM um, defenseman slash LSM is what I would list him as. Uh, he plays kind of both for Riverside, um, but Jones and Jones is is primarily a defenseman. They use him on the wings a bit in the summer. I believe he played on the wings a bit, um, but you know both of these guys I think have a future at the LSM spot. Uh, maybe we'll start out at the at LSM and then move to close defense as they get older. Um, certainly, I would say uh, Schroeder has more of a future at the LSM spot than Jones does, but I do think both these guys 
Uh, they're very versatile. And that's something you're starting to see more in defensemen, I feel like, is guys that, you know, aren't necessarily, I'm a coach defenseman, I'm an LSM. You're starting to see some of these tweeners um, that can make impacts on both ends of the field. I think that's only going to progress, especially in this shot clock era when you've got to get the ball up the field and into the offensive zone as quickly as possible. Now, moving on down to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where Joe Brushy and the Tar Heels hold the number five class in the nation. Obviously, the two names that uh, pop out at you when you look at this class, Dominic Petromala. That last name ring a bell, anyone? <laughs> um, you know, obviously, sons of Dave Petromala legendary Johns Hopkins defenseman and former uh, Johns Hopkins coach as well. Um, All-around legend in the game. Uh, One of the best dudes in the game as well. Um, Adam is an attackman, ranked as the number two player in the nation and uh, could be a day one starter in Chapel Hill. Not going to lie. Nick he plays defense and uh, just like his just like his pops, um, he has battled some injuries over the past year. So we'll see kind of how he progresses. Uh, but uh, definitely think he could he could be an impact player at UNC. Um, you know he's obviously not as highly touted as his uh, twin brother, uh, but as I mentioned, he has battled some injuries over the past year. Uh, so he hasn't really played lacrosse. Uh, he did not play at all this spring. And then I think, I don't, did he play at all this summer? I think I read somewhere where it said he didn't play until like August or he didn't play at all. So he's been held out for quite some time with an injury uh, that he suffered last winter. Outside of Dom Petromala. They have James Matan. He's also a five-star guy. And then a guy I like a lot is uh, George Kalos. A big in-state get for the Tall Heels. One of the best face-off guys in the region. Uh, he's ranked as a four-star uh, you know, through his first couple of seasons. Uh, I believe he started as a freshman at... He goes to Hugh... In North Carolina. Uh, I believe he started as a freshman. And he's been one of the best face-off guys. Uh, in the Tar Heel State. And just kind of in, in this South region. Um, for the past two years. I mean came on the scene running. Um, similar to uh, Matan and Petrumala as well. Those guys came on to the scene running in high school as well. So North Carolina Tar Heels getting... Another good class, and I've mentioned before, Joe Bresci uh, has done a great job recruiting these past couple of cycles. Um, you know, despite them not having the most successful seasons, um, they've put together some really, really impressive classes. And, you know, in lacrosse, the ACC schools are always going to, uh, but having the number one class in the nation in 2021 
and then the number five class in the nation as we sit right now in 2022. You know, you've got to be impressed with that. Uh, the 2020 class and 2019 class were also uh, very good. So, Bleshy and the staff in Chapel Hill doing a good job on the recruiting trail. <clears throat> Some other programs that I want to mention that have put up solid classes or have some, had some big pickups thus far are Penn, Loyola, Georgetown, Harvard, and Richmond. So Penn, uh, Taft goalie, Thomas Lee Cardelli, their biggest commitment in the class thus far. He's a five-star guy out of Taft, which is in, it's in Connecticut, right? It's in Connecticut. And uh, I, I, I've watched him. I went back, watched his freshman highlights, watched his sophomore highlights, um, which were obviously in the summer. Um, I watched him at the National High School, that National High School Showcase um, thing that they did back in, what was that, September? I think they got a number, another one coming up here in November. So, I went back, watched some highlights of him. He just continues to impress, continues to get better. And I actually wrote an article last week um, about how he could be the next big piece in Penn's recent pipeline of just All-American caliber goalies. Um, and obviously, uh, Birkenshaw's graduation coincides with Rico Dowie's arrival. Uh, Rico Deli, his brother, also a uh, younger brother, uh, I'm blanking on his first name, also plays at Taft, is a lefty, he's an attackman, a real good player as well, is committed to Penn. Um, Loyola, the Greyhounds hit a hot streak in the month of October. Uh, they now boast the number seven class in the nation. Really impressed with what they have put together thus far. Um, here's the class right now. McDonough midfielder, uh, Hugh Brown. Massaquan, New Jersey defenseman, Dylan LeBlanc. Mid, uh, Medfield, Massachusetts attackman, Luke Murphy. Dole Barton, LSM, Max Latore are some of the highlighters in that class. Uh, all four of those guys are rated as four-star prospects by inside cross. Um, kind of my analysis of these guys, um, I think they've got a good mix of, of, of everybody. Um, you know, Brown is more of your traditional downhill dodger, outside shooting threat kind of midfielder. Um, you know, Murphy... You know, he kind of has that skill set that I think they could either put him at midfield or attack once he gets to college at the college level. Um, you know, and he has that passing ability, and he's displayed a lot of speed when you watch him on film. Um, and then also these two, you know, Brown and Murphy, are just two of the offensive guys they have in this class. Um, they already have some studs. Well, already had some studs before the commitments, I believe. Um, St. Stephen and St. Agnes, Virginia. Attackman Will McCullough. Um, you know, he's one of the best players in the, in the 
Old Dominion, Old Dominion State, I believe is what Virginia is called. Um, a- absolute stud. Um, you know this the offensive the offensive end of of this class for Loyola is just the the, the caliber of players they're getting is uh, j- just amazing. And then obviously looking back at that defensive side, uh, LeBlanc and Latore, uh, just two of three commitments on the defensive end, along with St. Paul's. Maryland goalie Max Watkinson. Um, you know, both the defenders have shown to be pretty active off ball and uh, good off the ground. So, uh, you know, two Trachinitas defensemen. You know, when watching both these guys on film, and I haven't seen either of these guys, I don't believe I've seen any of them in a full game yet, uh, but just what I saw on, on the highlights on film. Latore has shown to be kind of a better takeaway artist of the two. And uh, LeBlanc is kind of shown to be the you know, better of the two in terms of using his body to his advantage. Georgetown. Georgetown, Georgetown, Georgetown. Georgetown has a smaller class. And I believe they do usually bring... Do think they usually bring in smaller classes um, at Georgetown, if I my memory serves me correct. But in this 2022 class, they have just, and I believe they have the smallest class. So they're the number 14 class in the nation right now. And they've just continued to stack talent on talent on talent. They've got two five-star commit, two five-stars committed in Jordan Ray, out midfielder out of Calvert Hall, and then Henry Caponti, uh, Cap- I believe is how you pronounce it, attackman out of Brunswick, and then you have three four-stars, Patrick Krogan, a midfielder out of Lexington and Massachusetts, JoJo Dean, a midfielder out of Avon Old Farms. And George Action and LSM out of St. Mary's High School in Annapolis. Lucas uh, Dudamain is a midfielder also committed to them out of St. Michael's College in Ontario. And then Mount Sinai on Long Island. Uh, midfielder James Coletta is also committed to the Hoyas. Uh, Ray, obviously, the highlight of this class. Uh, the most high-profile player in this class. But after watching film of all these dudes, um, pretty solid from top to bottom. How many guys? They are one, two, three, four, five, seven guys in the boat right now. Uh, Dudamain and Coretta. Were they the last? Okay, Henry, um, Patrick Cogan, that's what it was. He was the last commitment for this Um for this class committing in November on November 2nd. Uh, Dudamain and Coletta committed a day apart in mid-October. Overall, solid class there from the Hoyas. Um, Big fan of what they've done on the recruiting trail recently. Obviously getting some good dudes in the recent classes. Uh, Dylan Hess. Glenn Bundy, two guys that come to mind, stacking more talent in this class.
And last two classes I want to talk about here are Harvard and Richmond. Um, and I don't really want to talk about the classes as much as I want to talk about some of the gets that they've got. Gets that they've got. That sounds weird. Um, Richmond. The Spiders have gotten a picked up a commitment last month from Aiden Fairchild. He is an in-state LSM out of Patriot, Virginia, Patriot High School in Virginia. Um, one of the top guys in the state of Virginia in this class. Uh, he is shown to be an aggressive defender, smart, smart off-ball, has fantastic stick handling, runs the field very well. Kind of everything you need, you look for in an LSM. Um, and getting him at Richmond, obviously they have a history, a tradition now. Can you call it a tradition when they've only had a school at a program for like seven years? Can you call that a tradition? I'm going to go ahead and call it a tradition. The tradition of Richmond defense, um, obviously adding to that. Harvard, one of my favorite players in this class, uh, St. Andrews School in Florida. LSM Sean Jordan committed back in October. I mentioned just like a few minutes ago, I don't like comparing dudes in the junior year to current college or pro guys. But there are instances where I will do that. Um, Sean Jordan, he draws, and I'm, I'm a. I've talked to some people who also told me this as well. Um, draws comparisons to Virginia's Jared Connors. Think about that. Best LSM in the nation at this time in college class. You know, Sean Jordan, um, if you haven't watched him play, go check out his highlights. Go. I've watched a couple of his games on film um, from... The past few seasons, just unbelievable player. Um, you know, he's going to do big things at Harvard. Um, there's just so many, so many ways in which he can just j- just kill you. Um, transition, as a, you know, runs the field very well. Defensively, it, it, it is a nightmare matchup for a lot of offensive guys. A lot of offensive coordinators in that in, in the Sunshine State, um, staying up, figuring figuring out how we're going to work on this kid. Um, and you know when he gets the ball and he gets running, much like Jared Connors, it's off to the races. And uh, you know that ball is going to end up in the back of the goal, whether it's him shooting it or passing it off to a teammate. So good get there from Harvard. Feel good get there for Richmond. A lot of great kids have already committed in this 2022 class. A lot more than some coaches had thought they would be. And uh, I do think, you know, because of the dead period and all of that, um, from what I've heard and from what we've seen reported over the past couple days, the dead period looks like it's here to stay because I think the NCAA is going to push it back to April 15th. So you're telling me 
that you're going to have basically two classes will half the cycle or over half the cycle I would say is done via Zoom, FaceTime and text messaging. You're not going to get to see these kids. You can't it's hard to watch on film and see how big is that kid. You know? Yeah, sure, you can have measurements. Coaches can put measurements out there. You can get stuff from the high school and club coach, but can't go see a kid in person. On film, they might look different than in person. Something coaches have got to know. And uh, a lot of times, I think in this class, and um, you know, you're going to see maybe coaches just kind of you know, sticking to the gut. Um, I, I, I do think... You know, if the dead period does not extend to April, that's a different story. But ultimately, if they do decide to make that decision, uh, again, nothing official yet, but that's what the reports show as of right now. So some very disappointing news for um, a lot of players, not just lacrosse, but football. Got the whole 2021 cycle done via Zoom. And basically half the 2020 cycle done via Zoom, or the back half of it at least. It's a shame. It is a shame. Um, anyway, uh, probably not the best note to end the podcast on, but again, thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back with you all on Sunday night with the mailbag edition. Remember, you can send in your questions to the mailbag on social media, at Lacrosse Bucket, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, my personal, at Tanner underscore Dimling. You can email lacrossebucket at gmail.com to send in your mailbag questions as well. You can check us out, lacrossebucket.com. You can find the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, um, uh, Google Podcast, anywhere you can find your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave that five-star review. As always, thank you all for listening. See you all on Sunday.